Last time on The Randomizer. Moonbase Alpha status report. 2,515 days since leaving Earth orbit. Dr. Helena Russell recording. Commander Koenig has not responded to treatment since becoming irrational and crashing his eagle. It is possible that the use of the cerebral wave machine has worsened his condition. He reacted psychotically to the arrival of a rescue mission from Earth, and he remains convinced that its appearance is somehow sinister and that evil forces are at work. He refuses to believe that they are friends and relatives from Earth. Commander Koenig insists that they are monsters determined to kill him because he is the only one who stands in their way. Why won't you listen to me? You're all blind! The commander remains in the medical center where my old friend and teacher from Earth, Dr. Shaw, has promised to check on his condition from time to time. I feel helpless and frustrated because I can't free John Koenig of the delusion that there is a plot to kill him. And now the conclusion. So, welcome back to part two of The Bringers of Wonder. And uh, unlike how we ended part one with no music, here we, we do have music. Uh, I'm reminded as I see this, actually, this is one of only two Anderson episodes that I've ever seen uh, sat and watched publicly at a convention. This was at Andacon. Was it the first or second Andacon? I think it was the first one, where I also saw the uh, first episode of Stingray in the viewing room. This was uh, ahead of the Blu-ray release of the second series, and uh, I do recall somebody asking the guy on the door... Uh, if he was looking forward to it, because they played part one on the Saturday and part two on the Sunday, and the guy said, oh, I couldn't sleep for worrying about how he was going to get out of it, the uh, the cliffhanger, which, to be fair, is a fairly gradual way, um, not really down to Koenig's own agency as it happens. It, it almost looks like the alien sort of kisses him to death. Anyway, uh, something you may have picked up on in Helena's recap there of part one. Firstly, I think it's a really fun recap that um, we're hearing it from her point of view, but seeing everything that Koenig saw. Secondly... What's your opinion? That recap... The signs are very erratic. Yeah, th this is... Um, causing his mental... Fairly under underwhelming resolution to the cliffhanger. Helena and Maya just arrive. At the end of part one, it was uh, Maya and Tony who were on the way. And some have asked, well, where's Tony now? But I guess... Having been beaten up by, by Sandstrom, he needed to go have a lie down. So, John, the reason I let the here. She has something to show status report recap from part one play. Specifically, I, I let Helena mention how many days since they, uh, the moon had left Earth orbit mention go in. Was because that is my perhaps favourite blooper in the entire series. That's an eagle. Because according to Helena's logs, and we can see parts of the, uh, the ceiling of the set there. Yeah, according to Helena's log, part two of this story takes place about a year and a half after part one. And not only that, but every subsequent episode of the series fits into that, that 18 month gap. I think it's about 18 months. It, it could be nearer six months. So the only way you can make that work chronologically, is to say, okay, you get to the cliffhanger, and then Koenig gets up, wanders off, has half a dozen more adventures, Would have resisted that. and then remembers, oh, yay, there was an alien trying to kill me, I better go back and deal with that. He goes rushing back to the medical centre. Meanwhile, the alien has just been standing there for like a year and a half, doing nothing, you know, twiddling its thumbs. It's, um... I see monsters. It's a simple little goof. I'm surprised, actually, that it got through, considering, you know, presumably... 
you'd have the same writer and script editor working on each part and surely they would check that that would be like the you know should i should i check the number that i wrote for part one? Oh, nah it'll be all right it's trying to come up with a, an in-universe explanation did your consciousness or protected it is rather funny anyway because it is now part two Helena and Maya are now a bit more receptive to Koenig's ideas. And he's a bit calmer. And now we're getting a sort of secondary recap of the events of part one. It's odd that everyone from Earth is somebody's friend. Which really I should have... I should have waited and waffled all over this. Everyone's out of someone's memory. Yes. They could have... Because it is... You do almost feel, particularly when you watch it as, as part of the compilation, you do feel the gears shift almost sort of, oh, we're now in part two. Things can now happen narratively that we, we weren't going to let happen in part one. Maya sees these people too, and they can't be in her memory. It is possible that they could project images from other people's minds into my mind. Hmm. If they have control over our minds... Why are they letting us have this conversation? And I do like how 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 spookily and atmospherically this to exert that control. This recap it's, it's almost like a, a sort of PowerPoint presentation on these aliens. Say that he knew Sandstrom was trying to kill you, but he couldn't do anything about it. And then when Alan took Louisa away from him, he regained control of himself. And that's an odd comment there. Ben did say that he knew Sandstrom was trying to kill you. Actually, no, he didn't say that on screen. Controlled his mind. You can infer that it's a conversation they had uh, off screen, but it's a fairly important plot point for them not to mention. They made him release the oxygen causing the explosion which killed him. So I'm blameless for making him jump out of his skin and fall over. Now listen to this. Okay. We've been in space for months. In Earth time, that's generations. Oh no, this is getting onto the, uh, that whole, um, into infinity. They have to be hundreds of years older than they appear. That thing. I can't even remember what it's called now. I'm so <laughs> I'm so uh, unwilling to uh, to accept it, but yes. Oh, my mind is because I was hooked to that machine. Yes, here we go. There may be no causal effect, but it is a tenable theory. I wonder why we weren't willing to entertain it in part one. Please, unstrap me. Do we tell Tony? God, no. No. Our best weapon is surprise. If we tell Tony, they may probe his mind and take away the one advantage we've got. Tony's very, very small mind. Oh, there's the top of the set again. Would you let Helena give you the same treatment I had? I'm willing. Well, look, then it should be me, not Maya. But you can handle the machine. We can't. Helena, if I'm right, there are things Maya can do that you can't. Ooh, that's not a good thing to say to, uh, to your love interest. Basically, this other woman who's a bit younger and a bit prettier than you, is also more useful than you. <laughs> you little beauty. Anyway, meanwhile... You're gonna do, Joe. Alan, Ehrlich and Bartlett are approaching Earth in uh, what they believe is the swift pilot ship. Her name's Jeannie. <laughs> How about you, Jack? And this is nice. Her name's Caroline. <laughs> She's five years old. Oh. She's got her mother's eyes. Yeah, that's why I, uh, I like the character. It's a wedding present from little old Earth. Just to be there. Because it's rare that you actually get anyone mention... I swear it's snowing over California! Hey, smile when you say that, man! I don't get that. Yeah, it's rare that you actually mention any, uh, you actually get anyone mention specific family back on Earth that they've lost, and as part two goes on, we see that's basically what 
Bartlett's entire role in the story really is as a fairly... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just just kind of sad, sad reminder of what the Alphans have lost. They've all left someone behind back on Earth, and uh, here's this guy with a five-year-old daughter. Normal. Ah, so Maya's been through the brain machine. Nothing wrong with her. Well, here we go on the carousel. Hey down there, Earth Control. I don't know if it's um, meant to look a bit odd, but yeah, the Earth looks a bit unusual here. It does look... I suppose it, it might be meant to look as though there's been some kind of disaster due to the the breakaway. And enjoy the ride. I hear you, oh Earth man. Ah, oh, Carter's really happy. Yeah, no mention also of uh, the Earth that they were contacted by in Journey to Where, all those people living in Texas City and various other domed cities on Earth. This is very much established as... Well, really, the present-day Earth that they left, we'll see in a moment, uh, contemporary 1970s footage of New York. Well, ticking over like a flawless machine, as always. Ah. Good. Maya's got an adorable smile. So, now, why have we converted Maya on the brain machine? Well, let's take a look at who's waiting down the corridor. Helena can go first. Who does she see? Dr. Shaw, Sans fiance Peter. Hmm. Maya. That seems to be his full name, Sans fiance Peter. But Maya sees... A pair of aliens taken from a completely different point in the episode. And I love Catherine Schell's uh, disgusted response to them. Ooh, they look like the plasma that forms on some organic matter when it begins to decompose. Bit of a mouthful of a line, though, but it uh, sums up the characters fairly well. Oh, boy, don't they look beautiful. Nice. Uh, is this a music from the Tabor? Nice, uh, angelic music. Derek, line's ready. How about it's a small step from main dump? Well, who said it had to be original? <laughs> what are you going to say, Alan? Where is the nearest John? <laughs> Well, that will make the history books. See, this is all good character stuff. It makes me kind of wish this was actually all happening for real. Also, a rare mention of a bathroom. Is that the only time uh, anyone in, in this show mentions a bathroom? Could be the only time anyone in... Uh, well, one of very few times, I'd have to guess, that uh, one is mentioned in any Anderson show at all. But the pilot ship has now landed, not in New York, but at the Nuclear Waste Domes. Presumably, again, I'm going to have to assume that these are domes or some waste disposal system they built after the breakaway, because otherwise it doesn't really make much sense for this to have never been mentioned at that point. Let's get this luggage into the hotel. I sure hope we get a room with a view. Forget the view. What I want to do is to get to a telephone. More fun discontinuity between what the characters think they are doing and what they're actually doing. Alan and, and Co are... In the old days, they used to call this town the Big Apple. Let me tell you more things you probably already know. Yeah, they, they think this is New York. It's actually the nuclear monitoring station. I also like, really like, the look of this, um, this set, interior and exterior. And it's made particularly creepy by the fact that the alien is just standing there watching them. Yes, one of them is to stay here to prime the domes. I'll send the other two for the nuclear trigger. And that's um, David Jackson playing the voice of the aliens there, who was uh, Gan in Blake 7. 
Oh, I think... He was also the voice of the alien judges and one of the monsters in uh, The Rules of Luton. So repulsive. If there was any other way. (laughs) And a nice, aww, face from Maya as she turns herself into Blobmonster. Maya, remember, they know you're a metamorph, so be careful. Uh, I cannot verify whether they said metamorph or manamorph at this point on the original BBC transmission. Also, yeah, the question of what is Helena actually seeing at this point? Does she see Maya as Maya, or does she see Maya as a blob monster? Because if it's the latter, she doesn't seem particularly bothered. We haven't much time. We are beginning to lose energy rapidly. Two aliens have been dispatched for the nuclear trigger. Once they energize it, we will take our fill. All the alien creatures will die. They are of no consequence. They are so ugly. Naturally, they are of no consequence. So this is a a group of scheming aliens plotting near a travel tube, and here comes Maya Alien with um, what looks like a load of electrical cables coming out of her back. Which of our number is that? It has our shape, but it is not of our species. And yet it looks damned sexy. Stop that one! Yes, so the aliens see each other as aliens and also communicate with, um, well, with the, with the same voice. And here we go on one of my favourite um, So Bad It's Funny moments from the series. And I, I think I've, I've done, um, yeah, I've put the Benny Hill chase music over this. It's the, the slowest chase ever seen on television as Maya makes her way past the, uh, well, yep, she's just made it round the edge of the corridor. The other aliens are slowly creeping up on the that edge, nearly there. And it's just so ridiculous watching these things uh, slowly lumbering around corners and yeah they definitely look better static they look quite nice with the illuminated lights in this slightly darker corridor and of course the sound effects are great as well but yeah it's it is rather funny as as a chase scene where you're meant to believe that one of the main characters is in trouble it's rather funny. And there's a cable again, I think, connecting the two aliens. Oh, don't ever... That must have been powering their internal batteries to... Uh, Geniuses and the instincts are vultures. To make the lights work. That's a nice description. Well, there are species that live on radiation. It's the only kind of energy they can assimilate. It's what keeps them alive. But what do they want here? Well, their planet ran out of radiation. They're starving. Unless they get a huge intake soon, they're going to die. Unless their son has died, that's uh, that's not likely. That could be beneficial to us. Let's give them our nuclear waste. So yeah, that kind of kind of implies these are replacement dumps. The kind of intense radiation they will get from blowing up the dumps. I should really stop worrying about that now because yeah, it's it's established there. Alpha is still producing its own nuclear waste. That we don't know what we're doing when we blow them up. Why haven't they just blown up the dumps themselves? How does just turning into one of the aliens physical activity. give Maya full details of all their plans? ...to exploding them for them. How? By making us think that we're doing one thing when actually we're doing something else. I know they were chatting about it for a bit, but... Wait a minute. Helen. She's got a bit more detail than, uh, than those aliens in the corridor were chatting about. That's where they really are. Still on the surface. And they were flying in an eagle. I still see the pilot ship. They're at the atomic waste dumps. But she does see 
the waste dumps, interestingly. She doesn't say, oh, that's New York. There's your atomic fuel. That's the trigger to blow up the dumps. Yes, and there are conveniently cameras all over the nuclear waste dumps, ready to zoom in on uh, any any facts the viewer needs to uh, to be made aware of. Computer, close and lock entrance to atomic fuel store. So that's Alan and Ehrlich, I believe, locked in. I've got to get to an eagle. And Helena and Maya just wait behind. And here's the, believe it or not, the very last appearance of uh, Jeffrey Kasuna's Dr. Ben Vincent, just going off with Louisa, no dialogue. And I always wonder if he, if the reason he's never seen again is because he's with her in a fairly uh, intimate moment when it's revealed later on that she's not human and he, he goes a bit mad. That's my, that's my headcanon explanation for why we never see him again after this. Anyway, Koenig has mistakenly gone off on his own for an eagle, but who's going to stop him? Where do you think you're going? Chief of Security. And... Tony, I must have an eagle. Doctor... Oh, God, what's this guy's name? I've already forgotten. Oh, who cares? Doctor Shaw, that's it. This is a fairly goofy shot of Landau as well. Yes, Doctor Shaw is making uh, Tony believe that Koenig was coming at him with a very silly face, going to do all sorts of nasty things to him. But that's, uh, yeah, Koenig out again. Ehrlich and Carter are already trying to cut their way out. And back to medical centre for Koenig. That plan didn't go well. How did he get out of medical centre? He just broke loose. And why the hell didn't you give the alarm? Now, he could have hurt himself and us. And I've got a good mind to have a word with the security chief and ask him why he didn't put any guards here. Oh, no, that's me again, isn't it? Oh, dear. Right, you stay with the commander. Make sure he's properly taken care of. Yes. You coming, Dr Shaw? So Dr. Shaw leaves with Tony, except he doesn't, because this is that shot where there's there's an, a surviving outtake. As Maya takes out the gun, she's about to shoot the security guard that got left. You clearly still see Dr. Shaw in the room, and then he's just gone. Commander. Yeah, that's the, that's the famous shot where um, the actor playing Dr. Shaw trips over the security guard as he leaves. Sure. So I'd love to know what the actual intention of that scene was because clearly Dr. Shaw moves to Koenig's side and stays there, and then he's just suddenly gone. But who knows? Because um, I don't have the, the script to refer to. I do know there was a scene written, I believe, for part two with um, a cameo from Bill Fraser, who suddenly turns up. Again, it's, it's more or less to remind the audience of what happened in part one, and uh, he gets hit upon by um, Diana Morris. Instead of drugs. It's called white noise, and it works by blocking nerve paths in the synapses in the brain. But most of the time, I just use drugs. The input of the aliens. Yeah, that, in hindsight, I suppose losing that Bill Fraser scene was is kind of a, a point against this episode, because it presumably would have given, you know, a good Diana Morris moment and a good Guido Fideshi moment. The second half of this story, all of those fun characters from the first half, with the exception of, of um, Bartlett and Ehrlich, they're just kind of gone. Make sure these things are set to stun. Let's hope the aliens don't read your mind, Helena. Small though it is, Helena. Can you tell people to stop us? Mm. Yeah, it's a shame not to uh, to have any more of that banter to look forward to. The, the rest of the time now, they're just going to be standing around looking a bit uh, a bit sinister. Alan and Ehrlich have released themselves from the fuel store. We don't really get any idea of what they think is happening at this point, though. Hold it! Again, Helena and Maya are going... Oh, 
They're going on ahead of Koenig. Was set to kill. Good job I hang back for no reason and make sure you're not being followed. I believe that guard was uh, an extra in... Well, that actor, I should say, was a security guard in, I think, The Exiles? Possibly one or two other episodes. And now we see what uh, Carter and Ehrlich think they're doing. They're having, you know, just made it back to Earth. They're now off on a camping trip with two ladies in what looks like a dune buggy. Oh, that's it. Two more guards down. Don't recognise any of them. I do recognise the next guard, one of the next guards they're about to shoot. It's Quentin Pierre. Don't hurry. What the hell is going on here? Shut up. My security force are second to none. How could they let this happen? Oh, dear. Yeah, some very good sinister eye acting from uh, Stuart Damon here. As Helena applies the white noise, Dr. Shaw is getting up close to her and trying to stop her. How's Koenig going to get out of this one? Just kick him. And as one of those things where you know, we see Landau kicking a stuntman, we don't see what Koenig's seeing. I would love to have seen one of those alien costumes actually you know, go flying, fall on its back with its little legs wiggling in the air. That's as much amplification as I can give it! What about Alan and the others on the surface? Will the sound reach them? They'll be getting it to their helmet receivers. But it won't be powerful enough if the aliens choose to block it. Oh, that's a nice noise. It's a lovely noise. Anyway, we've got some fine screaming coming up from Xenia Merton and Jenny Cresswell. Also, an absolute non-reaction from Tony here. <sighs> then followed by absolute hysteria. And a great line from Koenig. They get their power from energy. They get their power from energy. They've disappeared. They get their power from energy. I love it. I love it. It's such a terrible, redundant line. The atomic fuel store. So, the aliens have been driven out of Alpha. Everyone uh, Stop them. now knows roughly what's happened. All our people are back to normal. Oh, Sandra's been crying. That's something as well, you don't really see the sort of, um, the end of the dream. All those hopes for the future being smashed. Actually, no, here's, here's one character you, you we come closest to seeing that with. But it is a shame that, particularly with Tony and Sandra, we don't really see any outcome for, you know... It wasn't really Guido, and it wasn't really, uh... Oh, Sans' fiancé Peter, that's the thing, yes. And here's Bartlett opening some radiation shields, thinking that he's listening to music. And I believe this shot of, um, yeah, him adjusting the controls on what he thinks is his record player is actually played backwards. It took me a long time to spot that, but you can always tell when a footage is, is being played backwards because the blinking is never right. But that's a nice, again, a nice discontinuity between what's actually going on and, and what that thinks is going on. The aliens know about the white noise. They must be concentrating all their power on Alan, Ellie, and Bartlett. You said they were starving. Where are they getting their strength? Well, every piece of electrical equipment on Alpha emits a minute amount of radiation. They must be getting it from that. I love the way Koenig keeps consulting Maya through the course of this, the rest of this story, saying, "Why? how are they getting their power? Oh, well, I know this. It, it happens like two or three more times uh, later on in the story. She always has an explanation, and he's always... He's always throwing questions at her. Got to be down there somewhere. So there. Alan, this is Commander Koenig. Do you read me? Well, no, because Alan thinks he's off on a wonderful picnic holiday in the uh, the woods. And I believe that is actually Nick Tate and Drew Henley 
in the spacesuits in the buggy. I was watching uh, Cosmic Princess recently and noticed that the shots of Helena and Carter chasing after the Maya monster, it's not actually Barbara Bain and Nick Tate in the costumes until you look at the extreme close-ups. But this seems, yeah, this looks like the real actors. We'll use the harness. We'll drop me in front of them. Ah, yes, we have a, a, a harness to lower people down on, which... Maya, prepare to depressurize. Yeah, I don't think we've ever seen this used before. Which is surprising because it actually makes a lot of sense. I love the uh, the sound effects of this. Is it, is it a dune buggy? I'm not sure what it is. Um, it's a fairly speedy little roadster, but put over the, the shots of the, the regular alpha moon buggy, which needless to say is not as fast. Anyway, Koenig has now been dropped right in front of... Carter and, and Ehrlich's buggy, which is very slowly rocking its way towards him. But of course it's taking him too long to get out of the harness. Alan, stop! He said that without moving his lips. <laughs> yes, and Koenig uh, is manifested in, in their delusion. Oh, that was um, Koenig's helmet visor knocked open there. Just as a guy in black, black clothes and with a strange black mask trying to kill them in the woods. And yet the girls who are in the back of the car don't seem to mind. This is uh, all part of the fun for them. I notice one of the girls is getting far more screen time than the other one, to the extent I believe there were some publicity photos of her taken for this episode. Oh well, who cares, because Koenig has been kicked out of the buggy. And they're coming back for more, and this is a very, a very well choreographed stunt they crash into the rocks and Koenig just about manages to leap over them in time. I do like, I really like um, seeing spacesuited Alphans fight in this show. Which of course goes all the way back to the beginning of the series. So having got Koenig on the ground, I guess that's Ehrlich is trying to kill him and Carter is trying to well, get the, the buggy back on the road. Koenig is still wearing his camera helmet from part one, which is a handy way for us to identify him from a distance, in case we didn't twig that he's the one lying on the floor <laughs> having the stuffing knocked out of him. Maybe this is why they don't use the harness that much. It uh, takes a very long time. And here's Maya. We're going to need her to uh, you know, bring this fight to a, a close in a, you know fairly safe way considering this is a fight on the lunar surface and despite the fact that people's helmet visors keep flying open and uh, gloves look about ready to fall off it's still very dangerous at least that's what we're meant to believe so Maya is going to think about this and then she's going to turn into a great big one-eyed monster with horns yes needless to say this is not going to end well for somebody somebody named Ehrlich Dear, he's leaking air. I don't know why Maya goes goes in thinking that's the best way to resolve the fight. I mean, she could just turn into a big spider and spin a web or something, but. And I didn't do it. I don't know how it happened. Tony, Ehrlich's lost most of his air. We've got to get him back to Alpha fast. He needs to pressurize it. It's his only chance. Coming in now, John. You can't imagine Alpha without Ehrlich. Well, you can, because this is basically the last we see of him. But unfortunately, Carter is still, uh, still up. 
Making a run for the buggy. As Maya deals with Alec. Oh, Koenig just didn't quite make it. To be fair, he put up a really lame attempt at getting hold of that buggy. And then she's going to run after him on foot. As Tony moves the eagle in to pick up Ehrlich. And again, something I, I haven't touched upon with this uh, this two-parter yet, and I did mean to, to get to this, is because this is a two-parter and we have so much more money to throw at it, not only do we have the wonderful guest characters that we had in part one, but we also have, in, in part two, bigger, more expansive and more expensive looking sets. I really like the way they present the lunar surface in part two. It does feel much larger than, than it sometimes did in, particularly in series two. I remember Space Warp, they just have one fight around this very small bit of rock. Here it does feel like Carter has driven a long way and that fight took, took place in a really big big area. When you're inside, you will seal the door. It also makes the, the lunar surface look more fun with, with all the aliens on it. Even though I think we've only got like three alien costumes and the rest are cardboard cutouts, which really you don't notice until uh, until the Blu-rays. And even then you're not really focusing on them as such. Again, because they're meant to be immobile, you don't, you don't expect them to move, so your eye just accepts the fact that these bits of cardboard are not moving and that they're real, real alien creatures. Carter and Bartlett now into the, uh, this, this looks like the front office of the nuclear radiation, no, not nuclear radiation, nuclear waste dump area, this nice little control room. Again, it's a very big set. Before they get onto the even bigger set, yeah. Oh, there's another connecting corridor to the, the main one. And to be honest, I really think that because this two-parter looks more expensive than than the rest of the, well, a lot of the second series. Well, they have no power to harm you, either mentally or physically. They need all of their energies to control Alan and Bartlett. I really think the second series could have benefited from a few more two-parters. This one looks and feels so much bigger and so much better than, than a lot of the, the Series 2 fare. So yeah, a few more two-parters. They've got the door sealed. With just as, as, as good use of the, uh, the larger budget that that would have, have provided, I think the second series might have been a bit more fondly remembered if we'd had a, a few more, more two-parters, give it a bit of a glossier look. Anyway, Carter and Bartlett are now heading for the, well, the uh, main reactory bit of this enormous nuclear waste disposal area set. Each one has a, a container of waste. Bartlett thinks it's his daughter, his five-year-old daughter, which is just so tragic. Oh no, Bartlett has the nuclear waste and Carter has a, a cutting beam. And speaking of... Um, off-screen character fates, you know, I, I mentioned Ben Vincent earlier. I do wonder how long Bartlett actually survived after this. Because you have to assume that... Oh, Koenig's trying to ram-raid the, uh, the front door of the, the waste area. You would have to assume that a lot of people on Alpha would be barely holding on to their sanity at the thought of having lost all their loved ones back on Earth. And then 
some of them get to see them again in this episode, and then they get them taken away again. And I just feel that Bartlett probably suffered extensively when the moon left orbit, and now this would be enough to finish him off. But again, that's headcanon. It's, it, again, it's, I think it's good that I can come up with headcanon for very minor characters. Electron Lever. I think they've misspelled Electron there. Again, more more discontinuity as Bartlett's working the laser to get into the uh, the nuclear vault. He thinks he's he thinks he's doing his gardening. And that's it. Koenig is through the solder. Is he in? Yes, he's in. He's broken through. It doesn't matter. They will resist him. Aye, it doesn't matter. I'll go to the foot of our stairs and say it doesn't matter. I must say, I really like that the aliens are northern. That's, uh, that's just grand. Yeah, it's, um, to be fair, it's, it's, it, they don't sound particularly northern, except in that one line, that one line read. I really like that they sound all gruff and, uh, yeah, northern. Maya? Yes, Commander? Another question. Is it still controlling Alan and Bartlett? Everything's closed down. Where are they getting their energy? The human brain generates electrical activity. There may be enough among the population of Alpha to keep them going at survival level. When people are unconscious, their brain activity is reduced, isn't it? Very greatly. Helen, I want everyone on the base knocked out, with the exception of yourself and the chief engineer. You mean unconscious? I mean unconscious. And who is the chief engineer this week? Well, yes, I can do it. I can use a contact gas. Last time I checked, Alpha's chief engineer was a uh, religious zealot who had visions. I'm not sure we need to keep him around. Yes, Patrick Osgood from uh, Catacombs of the Moon, I think, is the only person who was ever named as Alpha's chief engineer. Anyway, Helen is going to do that wonderful thing of knocking out everybody on the base. And I think we've covered this in, in New Captain Scarlet as well. Knock out everyone on the base, but don't tell them. Because there's no, no chance they could be doing anything potentially dangerous when you knock them out. You know, it's not like this is a base with all sorts of science-y, nuclear-y type things that need to be kept an eye on. Just, just knock everyone out. And of course, Helena having uh, unrestricted access to all areas of Alpha, she can just just do it. And now the unnamed extras are dropping like flies. But that's it for Bartlett and Carter. They are well; they've got the big vault door open, which again I, I would assume has got to be a reuse of the vault door from Force of Life, which we have seen previously in I think Beta Cloud. So we've got the door open. Now all we need to do is put the atomic fuel cylinder in and we're going to have one big bang for the aliens. Wait there. I'm going to run about a mile down here to get you. Yeah, this set is enormous. It doesn't need to be, but it's great that it is because it, it again, makes the episode look and feel suitably cinematic. Anyway, Koenig has got Bartlett and... It's atomic fuel! Oh... Not my daughter. You're about to plug it into the core. Well, we'd have blown up the whole planet. That's right. W which planet? Oh. <laughs> you and I would have been living in illusion. But you've broken the alien's control. Now help me. This, that's what you want when you think you've finally been reunited with your loved ones back on Earth. You're suddenly presented with hideous monsters. Let's return to normal. And Koenig screaming at you. Oh, Commander, with everyone else unconscious, they're running out of energy. With what little they've got left, they'll concentrate on Alan. Hmm. Well, thank goodness they haven't asked for Tony to be knocked out. His phenomenal brain power 
probably doesn't contribute much to the, the aliens' control. Alan, listen to me, it's all right. It's all over. I like, I really like Nick Tate looking uh, utterly bewildered there, almost like a cornered animal. You learn quickly, John Cornick. That is hopeful. Hopeful? Hopeful for who? Yes, it's true, but you have been... Oh, and here comes the question. But haven't you been happy? Happier than you've ever been on Alpha before? Living your life reunited with your loved ones? Living, as it were, back on Earth? And I love the temptation here. I don't think I'd be strong enough to resist this. Dream! Isn't it better to live in a dream of happiness than to face a reality? Oh, yeah. I'd be under their spell, too, at that point. Yeah, he's basically out of it now. Barbara, help me! Which is an interesting way of disposing of the character. Again, for the second series, you don't have to... ...always end with a fist fight. This is fairly philosophical, particularly for series two. How long is a meaningless term? A pygmy's phrase. Time is relative. A butterfly lives a gloriously full life in a day, a single-celled organism in a microsecond. So long as one is fulfilled, time is irrelevant. Oh, they've got a wonderful turn of phrase on them, these aliens. They're wonderfully verbose. So as Carter is just about finished throttling Koenig into unconsciousness, Bartlett is paralysed. Loved ones in your own homes on Earth. Again, this is a lot to heap on a guest character. Without fear. But it works. It works because, again, we've got a two-party to explore the character more. Use your laser! Set Alan! And Jeremy Young is, is a good actor who's really selling it. I really believe in the tragedy of this man, and it is, it is really a tragedy, as, uh, as it is for a lot of people living on Alpha. That's it, Koenig's out. Now put the trigger in the atomic core. Bartlett is just immobile, and Carter is, uh... Well, I was about to say that he's going to do their work. We've got this odd shot back in uh, Command Center of everyone unconscious, except Helena. People have fallen unconscious while standing up. So they're just leaning against their consoles, a few of them. Stop him. Stop him, Bartlett. No, you get into a fight, Bartlett. I can't do it. He's immobilized. Oh, well, guess I'll have to do it. One last quick fight. Oh, or not. This Carter just jabbed him in the stomach. And it's it's very tense, actually, how close Carter gets to... Listen to me! It's Koenig! It's Koenig! ...getting the fuel cell into the hole. It's also a fun bit of the set to have a fight around this curved door, because it... Your footing isn't very secure. People do keep slipping and sliding. Carter's... Pulling on Koenig's leg, trying to get him to stop. Koenig's almost got it out. Punch, Carter. That's... yeah, Alan's out. And now, so is... The fuel rod. He's done it. Good old Koenig. Truly primitive organism commander. And another wonderfully philosophical bit of dialogue to end on. An instant of time. Now your life will be what the life of your species has always been. Cruel and futile. It's better to live as your own man than as a fool in someone else's dream. Ah, 
It's not that's not quite as strong a line as I, th I think it's often taken for, but that's it. The aliens, rather wonderfully, they just shrug and fade away, as if to say, "Oh well, we tried." Um, presumably, they are dead. I don't know. One thing I really liked about Destination Moonbase Alpha is they put a shot of um, effects footage from Space Brain near the start of the film, as if to say that you know that's them in space. Also, speaking of destination, I think that's a far better point to end it than including this this tag scene at the end where the alien spaceship disappears. Well, I've been meaning to ask you something. What was that creature that you transformed into? Oh. Uh, we don't really need to have this conversation. I think it would have been a far stronger ending without this. Habitat was immune of psychon. Little goofy bit. Although it does lead to Maya making fun of Tony, which is always fun. Oxygen. Like a camel can store water. Ah. A reused idea from Space Warp again. Very strong. Maya, put me down. <laughs> Maya, listen, will you quit fooling around? Put me down. Game rather begs the question how strong Maya is in her natural form, if she can incorporate abilities from creatures that she's turned into without actually turning into them. Anyway. How am I supposed to run a base of sleeping beauties? It was your idea. That blonde, she might have been an illusion, but she wasn't. I said it was your... Uh, idea. Oh, Koenig's fallen asleep, and we, we end the episode with a cheesy freeze frame that, uh, to be honest, doesn't quite really pay off the, the larger dramatic themes of this episode. But that was part two of The Bringers of Wonder. Um, not quite as, as strong as part one, but still some really nice action stuff with this one. More focused on action than the character stuff here. And overall, yeah, as you've probably gathered throughout all of this, I'm a huge fan of The Bringers of Wonder, um, both in this form and Destination Moonbase Alpha, so I've thoroughly enjoyed catching up with it on the randomizer over the last two weeks. Hope you have too.